Hey, as a reminder, if you want to watch the video cast of this podcast, you can go to WalterArms.com slash Walter Radio. We have a great show today. Nick Young is going to be our guest, and we're going to talk about grip and vision and how to become a better pistol shooter. Guns, gear, and training tips from the best instructors around the world. Walter Arms presents Walter Radio. Hey guys, welcome to this second episode of the Walther Radio Podcast. I'm Chris from Walther, and today we have a wonderful show for you. Uh, first and foremost, this episode, as all episodes, will be brought to you by the Walther 30-Day Money Back Guarantee. You can buy just about any Walther that you'd like, and you can shoot it for 30 days as much as you want. And, uh, you know, you decide you don't like it, or maybe it's not the right size, you wish you would have gone with something else. Get a hold of us, and you can send it back. We'll get you a check for the full value up to MSRP. We will cover your tax and send you a shipping label as well, so you are really not out a whole heck of a lot. It's a wonderful promotion. We don't get to talk about it on social media, which is why we love this podcast, because it allows us to talk about all the cool promotions and stuff that we do at Walther that the big tech overlords do not appreciate. So uh, moving on, we do have a little bit of Walther news. The Walther P99 Final Edition, uh, actually that our guest uh, today was in the video filming for, uh, like the release video, the P99 Final Edition with its cool box and its wonderful little coin, those are going to start shipping around the end of May is the projected date. So moving forward, let's get on to our guest uh, he is a competitive shooter in multiple disciplines. Uh, he's a father of two. He has trained with some of the greatest trainers in the world, world champions. Uh, he is also a national champion farrier. Um, however, this is a shooting podcast, so if you were hoping that he was going to answer any questions about shooting horses, the answer to that would be nay. Nick Young, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Very good. I appreciate it. Thanks good, for having good. me on. Hey, no problem. Uh, you are a member of our defense division. That's kind of uh, what we're also going to be highlighting in this podcast as well. So we are happy to have you. Uh, we're happy to have you here. Uh, how are things down in North Carolina right now? Very good. Very good. Things have been super busy. Um, 2023 for me, like right after SHOT Show, I would say, has been absolutely insane. Uh, especially like in terms of classes and stuff, man. Like stuff stuff is selling out like crazy this year it's it's really good great. it's a good problem to have yes it is you're fresh off the heels of a waxahachi uh trip are you not a waxahachi class yes yeah. i went there two weeks ago i think awesome yeah shout two out to the weeks. waxahachi crew down at ETTS. those are all a bunch of great guys dude they're a super fun group man it's like you know sometimes you go to classes and like not everyone is buddies and maybe at the end of the weekend, you know, one or two take each other's number down. And after that, they shoot together. All of the ETTS dudes, at least the ones that uh, come to my classes, there are super good buddies. They all shoot together on the weekends. They all shoot matches and stuff. So I'm a huge fan of those dudes. Like I have a blast going out there and teaching with them. Absolutely. Yeah, we did. Uh, well, you and I did a class down there together last year. And, uh, you know, competition breeds greatness. Those guys all keep each other accountable. And, uh, you know, I, I told them when we were down there, it's like an enviable group. Everybody should yes. hope for a shooting group like that. So, Absolutely. well, that's awesome. Well, uh, today what our topic is, is uh, we always want to keep in mind, you know, the guy who goes to the gun store, picks up a gun and wants to get better. Maybe he doesn't know about training. Maybe he's curious about why training costs so much. Um, 
But you and I, uh, as shooters ourselves, we both have kind of been bit by the bug of uh, performance shooting. And one of the things that can get you bit by that bug, or really the biggest thing that gets you bit by that, that bug is measurable performance increases. So what are some things that you can do uh, or what are things that you have picked up in your you know years and years of training that can make somebody better the next time they go to the range? Mm, that's a really, really uh, open question, but I would say, I would say like right now, the biggest things that you can work on are your grip and vision. Um, obviously there's a lot that goes into that and, and we can certainly talk about all of that stuff, but grip and vision are two things that like you cannot shoot a pistol without. And by grip, um, I mean like what I try to explain in classes is I give grip in terms of principles instead of just telling people to, Hey, do this with your hands. Obviously I show them how I put my hands on the gun, but when I give it to you in terms of principles, then you figure out what to look for and how to explore um, grip. And you, you start to figure out like, hey, this is how I'm supposed to grip the gun. This is what works for me, my hand size, my gun, the loads that I'm shooting, etc. So like the two things, the two principles that I try to um, tell people what they're trying to get out of grip or, or recoil management is number one, the gun needs to... Uh, be very, very predictable, meaning if I put the dot on, say, a little black square on the target and I press the trigger and then the dot lifts or sights, whatever you have, iron sights, whatever, the sight lifts, goes wherever it goes, I'm interested in where does it come back down to and does it come back down to the same spot every time. I think like far too often you, you'll hear people talk about, hey, this is how to keep a gun flat or hey, this is how to keep a dot inside the, the window of the optic, but that doesn't necessarily help you out with the gun being predictable. Like you can keep a you can keep a dot inside the optic, but that doesn't mean that the gun is predictable. So I'm more interested in um, where does the dot or where does your iron sights come back down to every single time? And in order for you to be able to shoot fast and accurately, like that grip needs to be there and the gun needs to be, uh, it needs to behave very, very predictable in your hands. The second thing or second principle that I look for um, when we're exploring grip is I need to grip the gun in a certain way to where I can slap the trigger without the gun moving. And I think one of the biggest takeaways there is like, you know, I think for years we were told like, hey, nice, easy trigger press to the rear. But if you look at, you know, like actual real life speed, you know, if you watch a, you know, a great example is an officer involved shooting. I've never seen one where anyone presses the trigger slowly to the rear. Like never, mm -hmm. right? I've never um, been to a match where I see people pressing the trigger slowly to the rear. So you have to grip the gun in such a manner that when you press the trigger, you're not going to move the sights off of the target. So those are the two principles that I would say, if you are exploring grip, those two things are what you need to be like very, very focused on and very uh, accountable for. I think is the grip you... something that you can explain like your grip? Is that something that you can put into words? Uh, this You can watch this video obviously on waltherarms.com slash waltherradio, but for those that are just audio partakers, uh, can you describe what your grip is? Sure. I actually have here for the, the people watching the video, I actually have one of these super cool Walther PPQ slash Umarex 
uh, <laughs> airsoft guns right here. Um, so <clears throat> we've all heard, right, high as humanly possible with uh, both hands, right? So mm -hmm. shooting hand on the gun as high as humanly possible. The support hand, same exact thing. Now, here's where I think my grip may differ from a couple others. I do not like my support hand wrist to be locked out. And for those of you guys watching the video, you would see like this support hand thumb like pointed straight down like this, or this hand like camming forward, my support hand camming forward. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of that. I actually like the support hand wrist to kind of sort of be unlocked just like this, right? Um, I find the gun behaves very, very consistently when I do that. <clears throat> what I see a lot of is when people lock that wrist out, the gun will bounce on return, meaning the sights will lift after they press the shot off, and then on the return, the gun kind of bounces down, and what that translates into is like you driving down past the target that you're trying mm. to shoot. So I find that the support hand side uh, wrist being unlocked for me and for quite a few other people that I see in classes is uh, pretty advantageous. Okay, so for those who can't see, uh, what you're demonstrating is your support hand, your left hand for most people if you're a right-handed shooter. Uh, his index finger is directly below the trigger. Um, so lots of people, myself included, I'll, I'll even rotate one finger up from that, and that's what Nick is saying uh, is not beneficial but it is interesting that you mentioned that because i was just out shooting today and I, I was dealing with exactly what you're talking about um you know my recoil control isn't bad but if i miss a shot like on a build drill something where i'm really having to slap the trigger it's because it's my shots going low yes because i'm trying uh, to, i'm trying to catch the shot as the dot is coming back down on target but it's it's bouncing low and i'm pressing the shot yes i mean theoretically if I brought the gun up on the target, got a good sight picture, and then pressed six shots as fast as I possibly can, theoretically, all of them should be in the same hole. Mm -hmm. If the gun is behaving in a very consistent and predictive manner. And if it's not, then what are we doing with our grip to make shots go all over the place? Right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it, it's, it's almost like aiming doesn't matter if you can't grip the gun. Right? Like you can right. aim until the cows come home, but if you can't grip the gun in such a way that you can slap the trigger without the gun moving, then it's all kind of for naught. Um, so that's why I say like grip is like paramount on the list. Did you always grip your support hand that way or did you ever experiment with one, you know, like the one knuckle forward, I guess is what we're talking about, which would put, again, for those of you not watching it would put then your uh your index finger more towards the front of the trigger guard or if you have a weapon mounted light it would put it about up under the weapon mounted light yeah i actually used to grip the gun like this like i would have my yes. middle finger knuckle and my pointer finger knuckle like right. on the bottom of the trigger guard what i was finding is the gun would just bounce and was not very uh predictive <clears throat> and i found this out like through things like shooting doubles through things like doing um you know, uh, reactive type shooting, like group shooting, stuff like that. Um, we can go into that stuff here in a little bit. <clears throat> but what I find is with this support hand moved back and that wrist unlocked, the gun behaves in a very, very consistent manner. And what do you mean by also, unlocked? Uh, this wrist being unlocked. So instead of your wrist being like cammed forward like this, and mm -hmm. this probably goes against everything that we're that we've been told for the last 10 years or so, but 
with your support hand wrist cammed forward like that, I find that the gun just bounces on return. And I see this in students all of the time. And as soon as you unlock that support hand wrist or support side wrist, the gun just, it, it starts behaving a so lot more consistently. I, I guess what I'm trying to quantify is like you say it's, it's locked. So you're no longer, or when you unlock it, you're no longer kind of driving forward with that wrist. Exactly. It's just, it's floaty. I'm not going to say that it's floaty, but I'm going to say it's a lot more predictive. It, it makes the gun behave a lot more predictively. And if you look at, um, if you look at like high level open shooters mm -hmm. in USPSA, right, they have an open gun and they have a gas pedal on it. And for the longest time, you know, we, we heard, oh, the gas pedals because they push down on it. It's like, no, that it is not for pushing down on it's 100% like, it is a index point so that wrist can be in the same exact spot every single time. And if you look at a lot of open shooters shoot, like really good ones, that support hand or support side wrist is unlocked. Like it is not cammed forward. Interesting. Right? Because that camming forward, it, it just, for again, for me personally and what I've seen in students, makes the gun just nosedive on return. And then you'll watch the gun like bounce on the return. And again, That's like this is stuff that people need to be paying attention to while they're shooting. And this is all stuff that's good to experiment with at a range trip. I mean, that's what you should be doing at every range trip is learning, right? So Absolutely. Um, as far as grip pressure, um, you know, I, I know we have uh, we have friends who, who kind of explain it as like you don't want to grab it as a monkey who grabs, like a, like a monkey grabs a hammer. It's not necessarily like a straight squash. Is that what you do? So it depends, right? So it depends on which hand we're talking about. Um, the majority of the time in, honestly, like I'm just trying to crush as hard as I possibly can with my support hand. Mm -hmm. um, I find the more support hand pressure I could put onto the gun. It's, it's like this. It's like I tell students, it's like the support hand covers up the sins of the shooting hand, right? Mm. So like the, the more the shooting hand moves around, the more the support hand could cover it up if you're squeezing it, right? But I think a lot of the time, in terms of grip pressure, and this might be kind of going off track here a little bit, but I think this would be good for people to hear. I think a lot of the time what happens is they'll draw, to, we'll pick a build drill for example, and a, and a build drill is a prime example of this because uh, you, you'll see this happen a lot with people. They'll draw, they'll get a really, really good grip. First, you know, two shots, everything's going great. And then after two, three shots, things start to fall off the wagon in terms of accuracy. And sometimes you'll see stuff like trigger freeze and, and things like that. And it's like, well, why is that happening? So I think it's happening because the more shots you shoot, um, and this is why a build drill is a good example is because it's six shots. It's like I say, after about three shots, things start to happen. So the more shots you shoot, I think that the more the support hand starts coming off of the gun and then your shooting hand starts getting involved in the recoil management mm. and that shooting hand, as soon as that happens, then you start pressing the trigger with your entire hand. And that's when you see shots going kind of all over the place. And so during a string of fire, it's like people's hands are putting they're they're giving the gun different inputs as they're shooting. And this is like very, very apparent, like the more, the, the faster, you shoot, the more apparent this is. Like you, you basically won't see this if you're shooting very slow. Hmm. Um, but the more, the, the faster you go and the more tension 
comes up into your body, the more you'll see people's hands like start to do different stuff. And that's when you see accuracy kind of go away. So let's talk about tension. Uh, that's something that I've heard you talk a lot about on Instagram uh, as of late. Can you describe what you know, tension is what the negatives are from, uh, you know, increased tension in your, your upper body specifically, and what that's going to look like on target. When someone, you know, somebody shoots a target, they'll be like, Oh, clearly I had too much tension because X, Y, and Z on target. Sure. So I think it's important. So let's, let's define what that actually is and what tension feels like first, right? So people can get a, an accurate idea. I think that it, probably everyone is driving right? That is listening to this for the most part. Um, I, a good way to feel tension is pro I'm not saying to do this, but I'm saying like, if you're driving very fast around a curve, right? And you go, I wonder how fast I can go around this curve. And then the car starts to do like the whole shaky thing. And it's like, Oh God, I, I'm feeling like I'm going to lose control. And then you feel that like little bit of tension come up into your body. It's that right. And you see it all the time when when people are shooting, it's like, as soon as I tell someone, Hey, go fast, it's that same exact amount of tension that comes up and you'll watch like shoulders come up like this. You'll watch their chest back, get really, really tight. And then you'll start seeing things like trigger freeze because they're pressing the trigger with their entire hand instead of trying to isolate the trigger finger and grip really hard with the support hand. So like, I think tension is actually like a super bad thing while you're shooting. Like <clears throat> I, I've heard Max Michelle talk about like while he's shooting, like he'll watch videos of himself. He doesn't even want to see like his face, like grimace. Well, hmm. he doesn't want to see his face do anything while he's shooting. Like he wants to be very, very relaxed. And I think that like the more relaxed you are, um, the easier of a time you're going to have shooting, the faster you're going to be. It's going to be way easier to make decisions. Um, target transitions are going to be easier, all of that stuff. But if you have tension, it's just, it's, it's, it's a really bad thing, man. And is I, I it think something, something you can notice yourself? It. Like, can you self-diagnose tension? And then if so, how do you then cure yourself of it? I, I guess, how do you get rid of it? So it's something that I notice, like when I do it myself. Um, but again, like when I go out and train for myself, I am paying very, very close attention to all of the things that I feel like are important and tension is one of them. I think that if you have tension in your body, I think one really good way to get rid of it is to do things like dry fire at a very, very fast pace or what you deem to be a very fast pace because speed is kind of relative and everyone has different definitions of what speed actually is based on skill level. So I think that dry firing at a very fast pace will almost inoculate you to what that speed feels like. And then when you go out and live fire, it's going to be much easier because you're not going to have to try so hard to go fast because everyone knows that when you try really hard to go fast, like what happens? That's all you get is fast. And then the, <laughs> the accuracy is not there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's super hard to do and it's very hard to replicate it. And so Putting in that work with dry fire and do, doing like what our friend Steve Anderson calls speed mode, I think speed mode is super important to dry fire for those reasons. It's going to bring that tension up and it's going to get you used to the feeling of that speed and make you more comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. the, the level at which you feel comfortable this week with speed 
if you do this dry fire stuff and speed mode stuff will be very, very different from the level at which you feel comfortable next week. It's like you will build new norms for yourself in terms of how speed feels like at that time. It's like you could take uh, the draw. The draw is a great example of this or an easy example to talk about anyway. Um, take for instance, you, you feel comfortable with a second and a half draw. Fine. Get 10, 12 of those in a row, right? With a shot timer, dry fire, and then take a 10th off of the par time. And for you math geniuses, now you'd be at 1.4 seconds, right? Get 10, 12 of those in a row, take another 10th off. Hmm. And I would explore it all the way down at like 0.5. Now people might be going point, uh, 0.5 draw sounds insane. And I would agree. Yeah. Like that's, that is super, super fast. Even for like some of the best shooters in the world, like a 0.5 draw is screaming. But the thing is, the more you can explore that stuff, again, with dry fire, not live fire, guys, with dry fire, the more you can explore that stuff, the more comfortable you're going to become with that speed. And that tension you're going to find is going to be less and less. So moving on then to vision. Uh, vision is obviously, we, you know, I, I presume most of us can see. Uh, how is that advantage? You know, explain how your vision is going to help somebody shoot a gun. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to know that where you look is where bullets are going to go. Like for better or for worse, every single time where you look, if you're gripping the, if, if you're gripping the gun properly, right. And not moving the sights off the target, bullets will go where you look. And I think the majority of time, the people that don't have the, the visual piece of this squared away, are just looking in the general direction of a target and they're not picking a spot to actually aim at. And you'll see this a lot, like if you stick like a, a B8 or a small dot up on a USPSA target, um, something uh, that has a smaller place to aim at, you'll see people that will have a way easier time shooting that smaller spot because it gives them a visual reference and a very, very small one at that to aim at. Whereas if you took that stuff away, take away the B8 or a very small aiming, you know, reference, a dot or whatever, a sticker on a USPSA target, and then you just had a big brown USPSA target and you told them, all right, at 10 yards, give me a uh, 10 shot group. That group is going to be significantly different than the group that you would see on the B8 because there's no more aiming, there's no more visual reference of of aim on that target and so the visual piece of this is like or the visual piece of shooting is like you have to see a very very small spot it's like i tell people in classes or i ask them like at when in the process do we start aiming and they're like everyone's always like well when the gun is in front of our face and i'm always like no aiming starts before the gun gets there aiming starts when you start looking to a very small spot that you that you are trying to hit. So it's like you're hard target focused. And this might sound super cringy to these old school like uh, iron sight shooters, but like even with iron sights, you're looking through the iron sights to a very small spot on the target and having the iron sights be more blurry. Not front side focus. Not front side focus. Now, there's some exceptions to this, right? The, the further you get back 25, 30 yards, you are going to need to see a little bit more of your front sight and a little, you know, a little bit more crisp 
uh, picture. But like generally, I would say for a relatively decent shooter, 12 yards and in, uh, very, very hard target focus. If you have a red dot on your pistol, you are hard target focused to infinity. There's never a time when I would tell someone to stare at a dot. Um, if you do, if you do, this would be good information too. If you do have a dot and you don't believe me and you want to stare at the dot, then I would say go to 20 yards and, and shoot a group staring at your dot, right? Mm -hmm. Take my word for it, try it. And I think what you'll find is since you're watching the dot bounce all over the place, bullets are not going to go to a specific spot. So if you try to shoot like a, a 10 shot group at 25 or, or 20 or whatever, staring at the dot, you'll see a very large group. I would encourage everyone to try this. And then on the next time, stare at a very, very small spot and then shoot a group. And you'll see that group be significantly smaller. Because hmm. again, bullets are going to go where you look. Well, I guess with that in mind, like if you're telling everyone to go to the range, what's something that people could do the next time they go to the range to get better? Do you have a, a drill or um, a, a, just like a set exercise? Like basically give me a 30-second instruction on what I can do next time I go to the range that will show me a result, a, a positive result, a measurable result. So I'm a huge fan of isolating things. Um, while you're isolating things, take for instance grip, because that's what we're about to talk about. If you're isolating grip, I don't care how fast your draw is, right? It's important to remember, like if you're isolating specific things, which I believe we should be doing in training, like you should not be worried about other things at that time, right? And, and like draw speed is, is one of them. So what I would do, like right off the bat, would be grip. Um, I would do a drill called Practical Accuracy from uh, Ben Steger. And it's basically five rounds at varying distances. And you're shooting at a pace where you, you don't have a still sight. Your sight is kind of painting the target, right? So you're shooting, for those of you that have a shot timer and are used to reading splits or whatever, you're shooting at, say quarter second to 0.35, maybe even 0.4 type splits. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you're shooting five shots, boom, 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 boom. While you're doing this, you're exploring, like, how do I get this gun to behave consistently? What does it look like while I'm shooting? What is the, what is the sight doing, right? I'm trying to be aware of all of these things. What does my grip feel like, right? On shot number you know, say three or four, did I feel things start to fall off the wagon? And once you start paying attention to that stuff, then you can go down, look at the target and then diagnose that target. And by diagnose, I mean like, does that target show the same exact picture of what you thought it would look like because of what you saw and felt? And if not, then we need to start paying more attention to that stuff. So give me an example of like what a bad target would look like and then what, what the diagnosis would be. Like, let's say, uh, especially, you know, your problems are going to become exacerbated the farther you are away from the target. So let's take a 15 sure. yard target. Um, there's three low left in the Charlie, um, two, I don't know, one high left, one high right. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I think if you go down to the target and you go, Hey, all of those look really good. They felt really good. And then you go down to the target and then this, like, this is a very common one. You'll see like a diagonal group, 
mm -hmm. right? Well, you'll see for a righty, it's always like freaking high right and then low left. That high right is watching the dot or watching your sight lift. Because again, bullets are going to go where you look for better or for worse. And so if you're just looking in the general direction of the target and you're focused on your sights, then you will see high right, right? And then the subsequent ones, again, since you're not focused to a small spot, the subsequent ones are going to be low left. Because the more you focus on a dot or your sights, the more you perceive them to be moving around. And the, the more you perceive them to lift, and then you're going to push into the gun and it's going to go low left. And so I would say if you had, say, a group that's like a diagonal, and, and again, this is super, super common. If you have like a diagonal group, right, where it's, where it's like a maybe a 12-inch spread, right, I would say you're 100% probably watching the dot. And then subsequently, you are pushing into the gun because of that. So it's a grip and visual thing or a grip and visual problem that need to be fixed. So One obviously it's very important to uh, keep raising your, your level of skill. Uh, I mentioned a phrase earlier, which is competition breeds greatness. Uh, do you believe that everybody should try and compete on some level? Do you think that will make everyone also kind of get the hunger to continue training? Yes. Um, and I could kind of tell you a little story about why I started competing. And I think it would help people uh, make sense of all this. So, when I first started shooting, like I started carrying a gun for the same exact reason that everyone does, right? I want to protect myself, protect my family, all that jazz. A friend of mine at the time shot a bunch of three gun and I was like, that's cool, but like that has nothing to do with what I want to do. And at the time, like if it, if shooting did not resemble what I thought a gunfight would look like, I did not want any part of it. And that was especially true for the, this gamer stuff. I finally went to a three-gun match, and I saw how fast and accurate those dudes were, and I had never seen anyone shoot that fast and accurate. And so from there, I was like, if I'm getting my ass kicked by these gamers, and they could shoot faster and more accurately than me, why wouldn't this help me? And so I started shooting a bunch of three-guns, shot PRS, Steel Challenge, and then most recently USPSA. But I shoot it because... The, the gaming aspect makes the shooting piece subconscious. And that shooting piece, like I no longer have to think about how to press the trigger or how to grip the gun or where to look to on a target or how to shoot on the move or you know how to go fast. All of that stuff runs in autopilot. Therefore, it leaves bandwidth for you to make other decisions. So I would say, even if you are a quote-unquote defensive-minded shooter and you're never going to go to USPSA Nationals, none of this stuff, I would highly encourage you to go check it out. Like, there's not really any other place where you can be tested on these set of skills in terms of shooting. Like, there's no other place where you can go and test your speed, accuracy, how well you move, you know, shooting targets at varying distances, things like that being held to a very, you know, high accountability, like USPSA is the place to go do that stuff. So again, it doesn't matter if you're a quote unquote, I am only a defensive shooter or I'm, I'm only shooting because I'm a cop. I would say that the shooting sports are, is the place for you to go test these skills and it's going to help you with these skills to become more and more like subconscious 
Therefore, they won't require as much bandwidth out of you if you do need to use them. Where does somebody go to learn about all these? Because there's, you know, several different games and outlaw matches and, and things like that. So what would you suggest to somebody who's like, I don't even know where to start? So you can go on practicescore.com. Um, I'm assuming you can leave a little link in the bio. Yeah, or I can. Uh, I'll put a thing up on the screen. Go to practicescore.com and you're going to see a little map and then you're going to put your location in. And then on that map, you will see a bunch of different clubs and matches pop up. Usually, like... Despite where you are in the country, there's probably a match within, I would say, hour and a half to two hours away from you. Like, there are matches everywhere. So, and practice score is going to show you where all of those are. So, you've been to a lot of these matches. You were the new guy at one point. What do you have to say to the new person that's, that, you know, maybe they'll listen to this podcast. Maybe they'll be like, you know what, maybe I should. Um, I'm really scared of being the last guy on the totem pole though. And that that's never a good feeling for anybody. What do you say to that guy? I would say that no one cares that I would say that no one cares that you're the last guy on the totem pole. I promise you. Right. Like literally no one cares. Um, and a lot of the time at those matches, people are happy to help you out. And so like, don't feel like I I don't want to go because I'm going to be the last guy. Like it, it honestly, it just doesn't matter. Right, because I would rather people just go and come in last and then start learning. Because that guy is doing way more than the guy that goes, ah, I don't want to go because I don't want to look bad or I don't want to feel bad. Like, let try to let that stuff go and just go and learn, right? And, and try to squad with some of the better competitors. Like, if you're going to a USPSA match, try to squad with as many GMs and M class shooters as you possibly can. And for me, like when I first started going, I, I tried to squad with the best. I would keep my mouth shut and I would just watch people do do their thing. And if I had a question, I might ask them a question and just allow them to answer it however they saw fit. Um, just try to soak up as much information there as you possibly can. Because honestly, if you're talking about the act of shooting, shooting sports have the best shooters in the world in America. Like... I, I don't even think that that can be argued. I think that, especially USPSA, like hands down has the best pistol shooters in the world. So all of that stuff is, is super easy to access. And like I say, I would just go soak it all up. It doesn't matter if you come in last, right? It, I promise you no one cares. It only hurts your feelings only for a little while. And then that should you know help fuel you to get a lot better than what you currently are. Yeah, and I think that that's worth mentioning as well. Uh, you know, training for some people is out of financial reach. Like to go take a class, especially if it's one that's not local to them, that it takes a lot of money. There's hotel involved, perhaps plane ticket, um, as well as the class and the ammunition. But you can learn a whole heck of a lot by spending what's a match fee? Ten bucks, fifteen bucks. It's cheap. Uh, driving yep. to a match, spending fifty to a hundred rounds, uh, and just like you said, squatting with people who are better than you. I've, I've very rarely, and I'm, I'm even going to say, I've never seen anybody at even some of the major matches talk down to anyone or be anything other than entirely willing to educate and help them. And that goes all the way up to like the, one of my first assignments at Walther was to take photographs at area four, uh, of the super squad there. And everybody, everybody on the super squad was even still learning from each other and teaching each other. Um, so again, if that's something where, you know, you do want to get better, uh, and, you know, classes just are, are not there for you. Find a match 
and uh, you would be surprised at what you'd be able to learn from just the other people that you squad with. So uh, thanks 100%. for making that point. 100%. And again, don't think of a match as like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a gamer. Like, you don't have to be a gamer to go to a match. Think of a match in terms of like, hey, I just want to get better at the shooting skills. Period. Yeah. That is the place. Or, or even a, a snapshot of how well you shoot under pressure right now. Like, let's say yeah. you think you're really good. Maybe you're the best person in your shooting group. Go shoot a match and, and get a positive snapshot of your skill and ability level as it stands today. And then try and work on it because nobody's going to be... I mean, the best shooters in the world get beat at the next major match. Yep. So that's a, that's a great point. It's like shooting a match. Like, if you ever wanted to learn what your cold performance is on demand... Go shoot a match, mm-hmm. and like that, it, that is your performance. Like yeah. if, if 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 the shot timer goes off and you forget where targets are, and forget how to hit them, like that is your current level of execution. So it's you know I, I think it's a good barometer in terms of cold performance. Too. So we're kind of teetering on the edge there of talking about you know well the, back to what you're saying about like well uh, de- competition shooting is not defensive minded. So let's smash some of these myths here real quick, because everybody who has been opposed to competition shooting uh, has the same things they like to throw out. So what do you say to the guy who says paper targets don't shoot back? I got nothing for that guy. It's very obvious that paper <laughs> targets do not shoot back. So here's, here's what I would have to say to him. Um, the area that I live in, and, and I'm preface this with I'm not making fun of anyone. I promise you, I have very high respect for the people I'm about to talk about. The area that I live in, um, I live right next to Fort Bragg, right? I shoot USPSA matches pretty often. I see a lot of uh, Green Berets, Delta Dudes. I've seen those guys on their first match, right? And and we're talking about like very, very high-performing people. Like these are are legit uh, the world's boogeymen, right? I've seen these guys at their first match, like forget where targets are. And it's like, if that guy can forget where targets are, it's like, all right, maybe there is something to all of this stuff. Okay, because what about, that guy uh, obviously performs well under pressure, right? Sure. What about the, there's no beep in a gunfight guy? <laughs> so yes, there might not be a beep, but there is some sort of stimulus. So like, don't think about, the beep as like, oh, that's just a gamer thing, right? Um, there is 100% some sort of stimulus, whether it's a visual stimulus, whether it is, you know, you, you talking to someone and things are getting escalated. It is some sort of stimulus to react. That's all it is. And the beep is me- just substituting that. Yeah, it's just, a, and, and the shot timer is just measuring the time, right? It's just measure. It's it's just another metric of shooting performance. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because I think there's a for whatever reason people want to conflate courses of fire in a game with uh, with a real life uh, scenario reenactment or something. And no one ever advertised anything that way. Um, it's just I think when people think of a drill, they're like, oh yeah, that's five rounds or three rounds on paper. Um, but a, a course of fire is essentially it's just a shooting drill. It's a shooting skills test. It has nothing to do with tactics. Those would be applied, you know, outside the realm of your your hard shooting skills. You apply tactics to those in your own time. Is that correct? Yes, but I would yeah, a hundred percent. But it doesn't go the other way, 
right? There's no such thing as tactical shooting. There's shooting and then there's tactics. The shooting gets applied to your tactics, but you can't apply the tactical thing to the shooting piece. It's, it, only, it only goes one way. And if you try to do the whole tactical shooting thing, it's like, what are you actually getting out of that? Other than like playing some sort of fantasy dress up thing, right? Like you're not getting some sort of like tangible skill out of it. Like go do tactics if you want to learn that stuff and then do the shooting piece and then take the shooting stuff and apply it how you see fit with whatever it is that you're doing tactically. Well, Nick, you gave us a lot to think about uh, with grip and vision, tying those two things together and how they can make you a better shooter today. Um, at Walther, we obviously support you guys big time. The entire defense division is six of our favorite instructors that we have all trained with. And it's not just because, you know, we think they're cool on Instagram. These are people that we have trained with personally, and we find what they teach is beneficial. And it's going to be beneficial to really anybody from any skill level, whether they're beginners or experts. Uh, and, and Nick, you are obviously on that list and, uh, we care a great deal about you. So where can people go to find out more about Nick Young and Velox training group? So you can go to www.veloxtraininggroup.com, V-E-L-O-X. And you can also go to my Instagram page, which is velox underscore training underscore group. Um, I post video, mostly videos, I would say, on there pretty much every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I try to post a lot of like informative and instructional stuff that may help people out on Instagram quite a bit. Um, if you have any other questions, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, my email is also up on my website. There's a little spot that uh, my uh, website, super awesome website guy stuck up there. <laughs> so you can email me. And then uh, if you don't want to email, you're welcome to shoot me a DM on Instagram too. I pretty much answer every single DM that comes through in regards to training. Uh, if you ask me some crazy stuff, I'm probably not going to answer it. But I'm very interested in training if you haven't uh, been able to tell. So if you have a question on training, feel free to shoot me a DM and I'll be happy to answer it for you. And what are your next few classes coming up? If you've got spots, maybe we have people listening that could fill those up. I've got a class. Let's see. California is full. Uh, Ohio, the end of May. I've got two spots left in that class. I've got Big Tex, the second weekend in June. I think there are three spots left in that one. And then Iowa, beginning of July. I've got a bunch of spots left in that one. That one's a two-day rifle class. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, we really appreciate you being on here and uh, you're a great friend of ours. So uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on here another time. But uh, yeah, man, thanks very much. We'll see you on the next Thank one. Thank you for having me. No problem. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walther Radio. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. At Walther Arms, it's our duty to create the world's best performing firearms. It's your duty to be ready. Thanks again for listening.